dear friends, it's during this time that we're going to consider the fourth of the blessings and the fourth of the woes. We have connected a blessing with a woe in each of the last four sermons. We began in talking about where is your wealth. That's the question that we asked in the first sermon. Secondly, we asked the question of what do you hunger? For what do you hunger? What is it that you truly desire? <clears throat> and last week we asked the question, where is your joy? What, what is it that drives you? What is it that inspires you, that, that truly gives you contentment? Where does that lie? For we do have this world before us, this world before us that, that is alluring, that is distracting at times of spiritual things. And the Lord Jesus Christ is calling us to look at things rightly, to have an eschatological hope, to look to the future, and to judge and to consider where we are now and make decisions in the life where we are now in a way that takes into account of what Jesus has accomplished through his life, <clears throat> his death, and his resurrection. And how it is that has changed you, it has changed your life, it has changed your trajectory for all of eternity. So we considered wealth, hunger, joy, and today we ask the question, where is your reputation? Upon what does your reputation stand? What is it you, that you aspire towards in reference to how you are viewed before other people? Ultimately, we will want to ask the question, whose opinion is most important to you? Is it the opinion of this generation before us? that is moving about, shifting about like a boat upon the waves? <clears throat> or is it the opinion of the Lord? Let's look at the passage, Luke 6 and verses 22 and 26. 22 and 23 say, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. <clears throat> Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for their fathers did to the false prophets. You know, friends, we, we live in some interesting times. We live in a time where people more and more claim to be open-minded, claim to be open to all different views, all different considerations. Some go so far as to claim to be that way religiously. You know, the religion that very much pushes that idea forward is the Baha'i faith. And they claim to take all of the different religions together and practice them in one religion, and you end up with a religion that looks nothing like any of the religions that they actually claim to be practicing, or claim that point to them, claim to be tolerant, they claim to be open-minded, and in their open-mindedness, they are disregarding the very religions that they claim to be open to. It's interesting, we, we've grown in these times, more and more connected. The internet has grown us in a degree of connectivity. We're connected to information. We're connected to other people. I mean, let's face it, we're, we're connected to news. When I was younger, it was the evening news that would come on, and that's where you got your news. Maybe there'd be something in the morning. But then came cable, and the news was running 24 hours a day. We're in a time now where cable news is behind. <clears throat> Information gets to people through social media. Information gets to people off of the internet very, very quickly. But as we've grown in this connectivity, as we've grown 
and being more and more connected to people electronically, we have grown to exist in greater and greater enclaves, compartments sociologically. The Church of Christ is one that comes from many different backgrounds. And the tendency is to go into the internet, to go onto social media, to go onto forums and to participate with people that have interests that are like you, that are, that are similar to you. That's not bad in and of itself. It's not bad in and of itself to, to, to associate with people that perhaps are interested in, in older cars or people that are interested in history and you have the ability to do that. But none of those things are what unite the church. You have generations coming up right now that are growing up in these, these enclaves, that are growing up in these almost echo chambers of communication where other points of view aren't discussed, where other points of view aren't there, where they're not even having to, to, to deal with someone that has a different opinion than themselves. This has come forward, I would argue, in the last few years, people that are so accustomed to having the view that they agree with parroted back to them, that when someone begins to say something different, when someone begins to undermine the foundation of their belief system, they begin to fret. Great stress comes upon them. They've not had to deal with other people's opinions as they've grown up. They've been taught to parrot certain things. This idea is greatly distressing, and you find people venting. D.A. Carson, in his book, excellent book, highly recommend it, The Intolerance of tolerance. He was prophetic in speaking of this. We see coming into effect over these past few years what he was talking about so many years earlier. <clears throat> and he says this as one quote from the book. He says, contemporary tolerance is intrinsically intolerant. It is blind to its own shortcomings because it erroneously thinks it holds the moral high ground. It cannot be questioned because it has become part of the West plausibility structure. So making this argument, those that are claiming to be so open-minded are actually closed-minded, are not actually open to other ideas that contradict their own viewpoints, only so long as they actually agree with them. Very much so, what I emphasize with the Baha'i religion, I know most of you have never heard of that religion, but I think on a, an international way of looking at religion, that is one that very much encompasses this idea of being so tolerant. But they contradict every single religion they claim to be following. This is fascinating. Just a, just a couple years ago, 2020, at one of the most respected universities in this country, Yale University, there was a sociology professor that had merely spoken in his class the fact that he believed that people should have liberty to wear Halloween costumes that don't align with their particular cultural heritage. And the mere statement of this sent students into distress. There were protests all around. Protests are something you've seen on college campuses for a long time. College campuses are a place where ideas are discussed and debated. I, I remember that was something that I really appreciated about being on a college campus. I, I miss that. The ability to go and share the gospel with someone on the college campus, the ability to discuss very difficult in, in, in theological concepts with people. The, the students would be lining up to have these conversations. I, I could merely just set up a, a booth at an event and people would be coming by just to ask all number of questions and my goal was just to talk to them so that in some way we could bring it back to the gospel talk about sin and what Christ has accomplished what Christ has done it's not so much that way in many places at this point and this particular university demonstrated this I was shocked 
Young women, young men, screaming, tears streaming down their face, yelling at the top of their lungs. These are supposed to be the most elite students in our country, yelling at the top of their lungs, this man hurt my feelings. This campus is supposed to be a safe space. This should never have happened. We have a people here that have grown accustomed to hearing the same concepts and ideas in an echo chamber. They are being trained to be yes-men of this pagan culture. This cancel culture is something that, is, that has become ubiquitous. The consequences of disagreeing with the spirit of the age, the common opinion that is held at the moment, which changes, which changes and changes at any moment. The opinion that will be held and must be held in five years will not be the same that is held today, and it was not the same as it was five years ago. It was interesting that we are, we are asking questions right now in this country that people have not asked throughout human history. Not even understanding what, asking the, what, what is a man, what, what is a woman. Not able to answer just very simple concepts. And I was shocked just a few months ago. There was, I'm not going to say the names and, or any of that because it's not really relevant but there was a collegiate woman's swimming race. And there was a man that said he was a woman, claimed to be a woman, changed in the woman's locker room, went out and raced alongside the other young women. Don't sound bite me on that. This is complicated to talk about. He ended up winning. And you see the pictures, and you see the other young women standing there, and you see the women, and you can tell that they are uncomfortable, that they don't like what just happened. They don't like the fact that they just lost the race to this man, but they say nothing. They have been trained not to speak contrary to the rule of the day. I do not want to lose my scholarships. I do not want the consequences that will be there. It is there. People have lost their livelihoods. People have lost their standings merely for saying what is very clear in nature, merely for speaking what has been understood to be reality in Western culture for thousands of years. Even someone like the writer of the Harry Potter series, J.K. Rowling, someone who is not considered to be a staunch conservative on the right, has now found herself to be on the conservative side of the culture at this point because she is not willing to take upon these ideas that someone can merely change their gender, someone can merely change what they are just merely by stating it. She's taken much heat over this. If she had done this prior to writing those books, she may never have gotten them published. I saw another woman being interviewed. She was protesting this idea that men were being allowed to participate in women's sports. You saw this men wrestling women, winning, body slamming them, involved in races of different kinds. And she was protesting this. And she was very frustrated, almost in tears as she was interviewed. And she said, I have been a liberal my whole life. I have never been a conservative. I've always been progressive. That's the word that's used. I've always been progressive. And she said, I don't know where to be anymore. I don't know what party to be in. Things had changed so much that the way she had oriented herself, she has now fallen on what would be considered the more conservative side of our culture. So I give this long introduction to emphasize this reality. That you must understand that 
that the spirit of the age, the opinions of the day within the culture are no way for you to orient your life. That there is no grounding there. There's no foundation there. This is no way for you to structure your opinions. You cannot base your life upon what the culture that has been turned over by the Lord very clearly. We are on a downward spiral in many ways within this culture. This is shifting sand, and it's shifting sand that is shifting and moving very rapidly. What, what was accepted today, what is loved today, is reviled tomorrow. Those that put up statues at one point are going to have those statues torn down in a generation to come. This is exactly what happened, but much more rapidly in the French Revolution. We cannot build our lives upon the culture that we are in. We must be anchored to the truth of God. Otherwise, you will be a ship that is moving about. You must, dear friends, have more concern for the Lord's opinion than for the cultures. You must care more what the Lord declares than what your culture declares. Upon the Lord and upon the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a rock. You have a, a solid foundation that you can build your life upon, that, that you can stand upon. It's on that foundation. It's, it's with that understanding. It's with that introduction that I want to walk through the various issues that Jesus is bringing up here in our relationship with others at the cost that exists for being a Christian in a culture that is not Christian. Let me read it again. 22 and 23 of Luke 6. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. He says, blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you. Robert Stein, one commentator, Robert Stein, by the way, was fantastic on this portion of scripture. The professor that came out of Southern University many years ago. But he says this, he says, when they exclude you, talking about that, he says, when Luke wrote his gospel, Jewish Christians had already been expelled from the synagogue. And he may have been alluding to that here. It's the idea of what's happening. They're holding to their Christian faith. They're claiming an allegiance to Christ. They are declaring that Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one who was prophesied. Jesus is the one who is going to make everything right. Jesus is the one who is going to crush the head of the serpent. There's a consequence for that. There was a social consequence for that. But this must be understood rightly. You must understand this from the right perspective. For the Lord Jesus desires us to see this from an eternal perspective. The Lord Jesus desires that we would have an eschatological reality. That we would understand that Christ is going to make all things new. And what matters in this life and in the life to come is your relationship to Jesus Christ. For one can have all the, accol all the accolades this world could give. One can have all the wealth this world could give all the blessing this world could give. And if you have not Christ, and if you die in your sin in that situation, you have nothing. The poorest person in glory is of greater wealth than you. The lowest person in glory is of higher reputation than you because of their connection to Jesus we see this spoken of in Isaiah 66 in verse 5, which is 
a, a passage that is looking toward that eschatological hope of what the Lord is going to do and, and the renewal that the Lord is going to bring about in the creation through the Messiah. <clears throat> and it says, Hear the word of the Lord, you who tremble at his word, your brothers who hate you and cast you out for my name's sake, have said, Let the Lord be glorified, that they may see your joy, but it is they who shall be put to shame. You must see this reality that when you have one that is hating you for righteousness, it is important that they're hating you for righteousness. If you're receiving consequences because you're a rude person, because you're unkind, you can't say, well, this is just persecution. Well, perhaps it is a persecution of a kind, but it's not a persecution because of righteousness. It's not a persecution because of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a result of your behavior towards others. But for the true persecution that, that happens, for the, the true hatred that is, that is unleashed upon you, the Lord's calling us to have joy in that. To see this as a blessing, to have the opportunity to suffer for the name of Jesus. You won't sell many books with that. That's not going to be a number one bestseller. Having joy in suffering for Jesus. But it is a good thing. It is a blessing. It is something, dear friends, that is promised to those who are in Christ that they will suffer for his name. That's a promise. Some like to give all kinds of promises and, and promise that you'll always be healthy in this life or promise that you'll always be wealthy or things will always go well for you if you'll just say certain things or stay away from certain people. We don't have those promises in this life. We do have a promise that those who are in Christ Jesus will suffer for his name's sake. Next he says, blessed are you when people revile you. This is an insult. This is someone speaking of your name in a pejorative way. And it means this, if you just change your stance, if you just speak lies rather than truth, if you just hold to the spirit of the age rather than the Lord Jesus Christ, the insults would desist. These problems would be removed. It would go away. But it is better, dear friends, to stand for the Lord. It is better to have the commendation of God than it is to have the commendation of man, to have the commendation of a pagan culture that is at enmity with God, that is even under the judgment of God. We see this idea communicated in Hebrews 11. There's many times we could read this over in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. But we see this spoken about Moses in Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 26. It says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Don't miss that. Don't miss that. There's some that will say, well, you don't see Jesus in the Old Testament. The reproaches of Christ, they are communicating something here. That he is believing upon redemptive history. He is trusting in the promises of God. He is trusting in the promise that the Lord is going to send one who is going to make all things right. He is believing upon the Messiah. He is ordering his life based upon his trust in God and what God is going to do. He's looking at things rightly with a proper eschatological hope. That's what he saw here. It is better for me to suffer in my faith in Christ and yes, I'm saying that about Moses. He was believing upon him. Moses is the one who said, there is one greater than me who will come. And when he speaks, you should listen to him. He believed upon the greater Moses. He believed 
upon the one who was going to lead the people out of spiritual slavery. It says, as he considered the reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, what the Lord has for me in Christ, in the Savior, is greater than all of the wealth of Egypt. That was the wealthiest country, empire, we could say, at that time. He had great power, or he could have had great power within the empire. He turned away from that. Continues, he says, For he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. This is a man who walked away from everything. All of his wealth. He turned away from it. Because he believed the message of the Messiah. He believed in the Messiah to come. He cared not over the insults he would receive from Pharaoh. He cared not over the consequences within this world. Over the consequences of his actions. He was trusting in the word of the Lord is Stephen. It is Stephen, though he is reviled. This is the first martyr. He is reviled by those around him at that time. They're stoning him. And the Lord Jesus Christ is standing to accept him. He considered the commendation from Christ Jesus greater than anything the leaders in Israel could give to him. It's because of his faith in Christ Jesus. It's the picture that Jesus is talking about here. First Peter 4 and verse 14. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because, of the, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And it's even sad that this can happen within the church. Even you have people who are Christians persecuting other Christians for, for right stances. Not to death or anything like that. But in the age that we're living in, it is, it is so easy to be so loose with how we are speaking on the internet, how, how we are writing about other people, how we are speaking about other people. And you will have Christians who begin to persecute other Christians. You will have some that claim to be Christians persecuting Christians. And these can be some of the more painful. These can be some of the more difficult things to deal with. Because at least with the culture, at least someone who is claiming not to believe in Christ, you can say, well, this person doesn't believe in Christ. And you, you have someone who is persecuting you for righteousness in a particular area. It's even more difficult in my life when it's been someone that I know this is someone who is a Christian. I know this is someone who is in Christ Jesus. They're not seeing things rightly and they're not, they're not behaving rightly at this time. But we have the example given by Jesus. Paul writes of this in Romans 15 and verse 3. He says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For Christ Jesus set such an example, and we have salvation in Christ Jesus because Christ Jesus took upon himself the consequences of our sin. And within that, he took great insults from others. Remember, even the soldiers that were persecuting him, slapping him about and saying, prophesy, who hit you? But Christ Jesus was faithful in this. Christ Jesus was faithful, dear Christian, so that you can be faithful. Christ Jesus has accomplished all that is necessary. Please see this, dear friends. I, I, I want you to understand this. I don't know where everyone is that sits before me. In fact, there's, there's many of you sitting before me right now that, that I don't even know. And I want you to understand the... The reality, I'm speaking of Jesus, and I want you to understand what it is that he did, what he, what he did in, in taking these approaches, 
reproaches upon himself. Because our great problem is that we have broken the law of God. We have violated God's holy command. We are a people who are made in his image. We are distinct from all other creatures on this planet. We are different. We are not like all other creatures. The fact that I'm standing before you and speaking and all of you are sitting before me and listening makes us different from every other creature that is on this planet. None of the others would sit here and listen to someone else talk for over an hour. It won't be over an hour. I don't know what I'm saying. For under an hour. But you're distinct. You're made in the image of God. And you have the ability to understand spiritual things. The problem is we suppress these truths. Paul talks about that in Romans 1. We suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It is evident all around you that God exists. The true God. And you know his law. You know that stealing is wrong. You know that lying is wrong. You know that committing adultery is wrong and this is this is our great problem we have we have broken god's law we are born as a people we're born dead in our trespasses and sins we're born sinners we have one that came before us named adam and adam fell and all who came after adam were born in their sins born dead in their trespasses and sins and we weren't born just a little bit damaged just a little bit off just a little bit sick the bible says that we were born dead. That we were born, it goes so far as to say, at enmity with God. We were in an alliance on the other side against the Lord. That is what happened in the Garden of Eden when the serpent invaded the garden. He was enticing Adam and Eve to join his alliance against the Lord. And so all who are born after that are born the Bible's so blunt, it says children of the devil. It's our problem. And our problem is, is that we break God's law, but yet God blesses us. God gives us life. He gives us breath. He gives us food. And we use even these good things, these blessings, the education that the Lord gives to us, all the ways in which our culture thinks if we could just have more of these items, the problems would just go away. But you can see that even even recently, someone who was extremely wealthy. You have the man who, who swindled billions of dollars in this cryptocurrency scam. I'm not completely surprised that that happened. I still don't exactly understand what all the cryptocurrency is. But I'm not surprised, as weird as it is, that there would be something shady going on in the midst of it. But you have someone who was intelligent who was educated in his own way and he used those blessings just to sin against God even more. That's the, that's the depth of our problem. That's, that's the seriousness of our problem. There's nothing in this world that can solve that problem, can solve that issue. Now the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the passage that I read there, he took the reproaches of those and their reproach fell upon him he took those insults. He took upon himself the wrath of God. Jesus died upon a cross. The wrath of God would fall on him and it would not fall on you who are in Christ. Jesus also fulfilled the law in every way. He never sinned even once. So he's done the very opposite of what we've done. He did the very opposite of what Adam did. Adam sinned, the Bible says, the wages of sin are death. Certainly physical death, that was a consequence of it. But it's also speaking of a spiritual death. Existing for all of eternity with the wrath of God falling upon you. That's what the Bible says about it. It's a place called hell. It's a terrible existence I would desire for no one to go there. That's why I plead with you even now. I, I, I share with I share this with you even now, that you would consider these realities, that you would consider these truths, that you would look at your life now through that eschatological lens that I've been talking about from the beginning. You would see this. You would see 
the seriousness of your sin, the ways in which you violated the law of God. And you would find no hope in yourself. You would not chase after man's various religions that he's created, seeking to make himself right before God. We walked through some of those in the new members class this morning. Walked through the Council of Trent, basically anathematizing the book of Romans, anathematizing the book of Galatians. No, friends, you must see no hope in yourself, no hope in your own efforts. You must find your hope in Christ Jesus. You must see yourself as hopeless, unable to help yourself. And the Lord Jesus Christ as the one who is the victor, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who defeated sin and death, the one who was faithful in all respects, who never sinned in any way, the one who took upon himself the wrath of God that it wouldn't fall upon you. Leap upon him, trust upon him. There is eternal blessing and salvation for all who believe upon him. There is not the promise of earthly wealth. It's very much a theme in this passage as we've seen that. The consequences of people believing upon Christ and trusting in Christ. It doesn't make your life easier necessarily. It doesn't make your life, it doesn't make you more wealthy necessarily. In fact, you can lose things because of your faith in Christ. But it grants to you peace with God. And that is what is eternal. And that is a solid foundation. <clears throat> he continues in this passage. He says, Blessed are you when people spurn your name as evil. Robert Stein makes this point. He says, This may refer to Jesus' followers having been called Christians or may allude to the expulsion of Jewish Christians from the synagogue. This idea of Christians, we take the name now. We're used to the name. But it was a pejorative term at first. It, it, was, it was one where, 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 where they were speaking negatively about others. And this whole concept of speaking evil of someone's name, making someone's name a, a curse word almost, making someone's name a pejorative term. You know, we introduced that earlier. This, this whole cancel culture that exists, that if you are not aligning with the spirit of the age, with the dogma that is being put forward, then you will be canceled. If you don't walk the line, you're going to be removed and the Christians walked through that the Christians were being canceled very early on but it's, it's in Acts 11 we see this idea of them being called Christians and Christians took the name this Christ followers almost an idea a mock oh that you're a, a Christ follower it's funny how sometimes those terms stick like yeah that's what I am. I'm a Christ follower. I believe upon Jesus Christ. <clears throat> There's a Jewish prayer um, from 85 AD, and it was a synagogue prayer that would be prayed. It, it comes from, it's a prayer called Shemach Eshra, and it says this, For the renegades, let there be no hope. It's basically an imprecatory prayer. For the renegades, let there be no hope, and may the arrogant kingdom soon be rooted out in our days. And the Nazarenes, you know who the Nazarenes are? That's the Christians. They're being thrown in there with those in the Roman Empire that are oppressing the Jews. And the Minim, that is the heretics, they perish as in one moment and be blotted out from the book of life. And with the righteous, may they not be inscribed. Blessed art thou, O Lord, who humblest the arrogant. Not, not the most humble prayer. It's kind of not, not being seen, the inconsistency of what is there, but there is a there is hatred towards Christians and those that were praying this. 
But here's what he says. Here's what he says. He says, rejoice in that day. When this is happening to you, when people are hating you for the name of Jesus, when people are insulting you for the name of Christ Jesus, when when people are associating your name, making your name a curse word, a, a pejorative, inserting your name in jokes, rejoice. That is what Jesus says. Rejoice. That's not where your hope is. Your hope is not in the opinion of others. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't ever care about anyone's opinion. You should. But you need to care about the right opinions. To those that are haters of Christ, to those that are enemies of the church, we should absolutely seek to live in a way that is wholesome amongst them. We should seek to live in a way that is peaceable amongst them. But their opinion towards us is warped because of their opinion toward the Lord Jesus Christ. They have denied Christ. So there's going to be a great many things that we are not aligning with. And he's saying this, when this happens, rejoice in that day. Rejoice in that day. We see this in Acts 5, 41 and 42. They left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching the name of Christ Jesus. They counted it all joy when they suffered under the hands of the authorities at this time. Isaiah, in Isaiah 65, 13 and 14, speaks of this idea. This idea of those that are suffering for Christ will be blessed. He says, therefore, let us, therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my servant shall eat, but you shall be hungry. Behold, my servant shall drink, but you shall be thirsty. Behold, my servant shall rejoice, but you shall be put to shame. Behold, my servant shall sing for the gladness of heart, but you shall cry out for pain of heart and shall wail for the breaking of spirit. For those that are persecuting the church, they should be pitied. For those that are fighting and are persecuting Christians and are seeking to cancel out Christians, they are the ones that the wrath of God is over. They are the ones who are in opposition to the creator of the entire universe. You know, it would be one thing to be in opposition to a monarch. It would be one thing to be in opposition to the president of a great empire or country. But to be in opposition, to be an enemy of the Lord who brought all things into existence. Dear friends, that is a terrible circumstance. That that is a terrible place to be. Don't envy someone like that. Don't envy those that are amassing wealth through unrighteousness. Don't envy those who are amassing status and reputation in doing that which is ungodly. Pity such a person. Pray for such a person. For they are amassing over their head the wrath of God. They are taking day and day and day the blessings the Lord gives and they're using them to sin against him even more. They're not being thankful for what God has given. They're not receiving these blessings and seeing their own sin. Remember how Peter responded when the Lord did the miracle of the great catch and how it was so much different from the people in John chapter 6 that were fed the loaves and the fish. The people in John 6 received this blessing, received this meal from the Lord. It was incredible. He produced bread and fish for everyone. From young, one young man's lunch, thousands of people were fed. And the people said, this is great. 
We, we need to make you king. Why are we going through all this trouble of planting and harvesting and milling, baking, and then it goes, but you can just make it. We, we could be, we would be sad, we would be so wealthy. So different from Peter's response. Peter says, depart from me for I'm a sinful man. The Lord blesses him there, gives him this great catch, and he sees his sin. See, two people, one regenerate, one unregenerate, can receive the same thing from the Lord and respond very differently. And that's the reality that is there. Don't envy those that are living lives that are evil. Don't envy those that are living at enmity with God. This is short-lived. Eternity is forever. Your relationship with the Lord is that which is most significant. That's the command here. Rejoice. Rejoice at these times. And I do emphasize these things now because I do believe there's going to be greater and greater consequences for people who seek to live holy lives in the years to come. And we must remember passages like this. We must remember this reality. We do live in an area of the country where we have not faced consequences in the same way. There are brothers in Christ that were up in other states that suffered greatly. There are brothers in other countries that were imprisoned for being faithful to Christ. We have the other side of it, verse 26. He says, woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. You must absolutely not take a passage of this like this and just take joy every single time that someone speaks ill of you. And even when we're, we're, we're talking, talking about joy, it doesn't always equate to, 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 to happiness. Like you're at a birthday party and all of your friends are there and you're a young, you know, you're, you're a young child. Imagine those times. You're a young child, you've got your presence and you're just so happy over what's happening. It's not the idea, it's not the kind of joy. This is, this is a true joy. Christ had joy in going even to the cross. But woe to you when all people are speaking well of you. And he brings this up. He says, for so their fathers did of the false prophets. If you are a prophet of the age, if you are one who is speaking what men want to hear, if you are one who is merely tickling the ears of the culture, you will be celebrated by that culture. You'll be emphasized. Your book sales will be higher than those who are not. Isaiah 30, beginning in verse 9, he speaks of these people. He says, for they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions. Leave the way, turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. That's exactly what they were saying. We've been reading through Jeremiah and family worship. That's exactly what was happening. Jeremiah would come forward and speak the word of the Lord, and he would be persecuted. He would be beaten he would be put in stocks. He would be thrown into a cistern, sinking down into the mud. But they desired their own prophets. They desired the prophets who would say the things they wanted to hear. The Lord was speaking to them, and the Lord was saying that a people is coming. They didn't want to hear that. They didn't want to hear there would be a consequence for their sin. And so it is now. That people do not desire to hear there is a consequence for their sins. 
Jeremiah 5 and verse 31. This is the prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their direction. My people love to have it so, but what will you do when the end comes? What will you do when the end comes? The party stops at some point. You cannot live at enmity with God for all of eternity and have no consequences. You cannot chase your life of sin, fleeing from the Lord, refusing to submit to the Lord, refusing to see the seriousness of your sin, refusing to trust upon the only means the Lord has given. What will you do when the end comes? A longer passage that I want to read of Jeremiah speaks of this beginning in verse 16 of chapter 23. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, It shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, No disaster shall come upon you. For who among them has stood in the counsel of the Lord to see and to hear his word or has paid attention to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord, wrath has gone forth, a whirling tempest, it will burst upon the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has executed and accomplished the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will understand it clearly. I did not send the prophets, yet they ran. I did not speak to them, yet they prophesied. But, they had st- but if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have proclaimed the wor- my words to my people, and they would have turned them from their evil way and from their evil deeds. This isn't a problem just in the time of Jeremiah. This isn't a problem just in biblical times. You can be someone who claims to be a Christian, but so long as you are inclusive of all other views, as it is said, so long as you are not willing to speak the truth of God, so long as you are not willing to speak rightly upon sin, you can be celebrated. You can have some of the most famous celebrities coming into your church buildings. You can sell millions and millions of books telling people you're good just the way you are. Telling people you don't have to change. Telling people nothing is wrong with you. But that is not the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord says that we are born dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul is so specific in Romans 3 that he says that nobody is righteous. Nobody is even seeking for God. We're not even trying to change our situation. We're not even trying to change our circumstances in our natural state. We're at enmity with God. And though that is a true message, That is a message that is offensive. That is a message that is offensive to the pride of man. That is a message that is offensive to man's religion, the pride of man's religion. Man's religion that says, I can change my circumstance through a series of actions. I can change my circumstance spiritually merely by stating or reciting certain words. But it's so crucial that that message goes forward. It is so crucial because although you may have the blessing of others, although people may may, may celebrate you in not speaking the truth, you are not loving them when you do that. 
you are not showing kindness. It, it is incredible that the one verse that, well, there, maybe there's two verses that everyone seems to know, and, and only one of them is true. But everyone knows the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Very common, the second most important commandment is the most common verse probably stated from by people that aren't Christians. Of course, the, the, other, the other passage is, you know, the Bible says don't judge. Not, not exactly, with, that's a judgment in itself. Not exactly an accurate understanding of that passage. But the reality is you're not loving someone else at that time when you are caring more about their opinion about you than you care about their spiritual existence. You are not loving that other person. You're not loving God rightly when you care more about that person's opinion within what God has spoken. You must remember what we read about Moses. One who, who, who left the glories of Egypt, the wealth of Egypt that was not an easy thing. He found Christ to be more beautiful. He found the greater promise that he didn't even make it into the first promised land because of his sin. He needed the second, the greater Moses who was going to lead him into the greater promised land. To love someone is to speak truth to them even when they're despising you, even when it is, it is a difficult thing. That's what I want to encourage you in. I do believe that each and every one of you will deal with this at some point. I, I do believe that as things are, are, are moving forward as they are and as laws are, are being codified in this country, and as those laws are going to influence policies in various companies within this, this, this country, there's going to be difficult times that you walk through. There's going to be consequences to holding to truth. You will experience persecution as the years go by. It's almost certain to happen. People are going to speak evil about your name. It's going to cost you money. But you've got to ask yourself the question that we asked in the second sermon in the series. You know, that was, that was actually, no, it was, yeah, for what do I hunger? Where is it? And after that, where's your joy? What is it that drives you? Is that which drives you merely the accolades of other men? Is that which drives you merely the attainment of wealth and status in this culture? No, we are encouraged to rejoice. Rejoice at those times. Rejoice at those times. Because there is a woe that is spoken do not envy those who are walking in unrighteousness. For Jesus says in verse 26 here, woe to you. Just like the woes that were spoken by the prophets in the Old Testament. They would say, woe to you, Egypt. Woe to you, Tyre and Sidon. Woe to you, Babylon. Woe to you, Assyria. That same woe is being proclaimed to the one that despises the Lord, to the one who stands in opposition to the kingdom of God, and to the one who is persecuting the people of God. Don't envy such a person. Look into eternity. Remember what Christ has purchased for you. Cling to that eschatological hope that we have in Christ Jesus, that this is not your eternity. And count it all joy at this time, knowing that your reward is great and glory, for Christ has purchased that for you. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you thankful for all that Christ has done, all that Christ has purchased, 
all that Christ has accomplished. We thank you for the goodness and the blessing that we have in Christ Jesus, the, the certainty that is there, the surety that is there. We thank you that we need not move about upon the waters of this age that we are anchored in Christ. We thank you that we need not build our homes upon the shifting sand of this culture. Rather, in Christ Jesus, we have a firm rock, for Christ has purchased that on our behalf. We pray that you would bless us in remembering these truths and trusting upon it, believing upon it, most especially in times of difficulty. May we rejoice even in those times. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear friends, we take a moment during this time to reflect upon that which has been proclaimed. We take a moment during this time to pray. You're welcome to pray any way you so desire. You can gather as a family and pray. You can gather as friends. You can sit quietly by yourself. And you can pray. The elders will be in the back.